Welcome to Hacks for Life with Galen Jones of James Group Ministries, a Christ-centered conversation that will encourage and inspire you to live a better life. Now let's join Galen Jones of James Group Ministries. Welcome, I'm Galen Jones, and you're listening to Hacks for Life, and I'm here with Scott Rahi, a good friend, and we're, the this discussion that we've had and conversation over the, oh, uh, at least the last three conversations, I would say, or maybe this is the third, um, where we're talking about how the mind and the soul are one, and they point to God. Yep. And, and this has really been intriguing. Um, it's kind of made my – I don't know if it's my mind or my brain. It's opening your mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and just so everybody knows, this we do these in clusters. We get together and we'll do you know five, four or five of these together. So this is the third one that we're doing today as the clock – you know for our clock. But there were five that preceded that one. So we're on about the eighth part at this point wow. of this topic. I know. It gets big and it's not done yet. I suspect it will take a little <laughs> bit more. So we're going through uh, and building sort of a collective list of lines of sort of points of evidence that collectively point to the idea that the mind exists. It's not simply a byproduct of the brain. It's not identical with the brain. And it has the ability to cause changes, which means that there is an immaterial thing that has the ability to make a change to the material, which means there must be an immaterial realm, which means that this whole idea of, well, God can't exist because there is no immaterial realm. We just exploded that claim. So that's, the, that's for me, what's really impressive about this. So let's turn to the next one. Um, and feel free to ask questions as you go anytime. I know you said you had some. Um, another, to me, really, really powerful um, line of evidence is the idea of, of, at least whenever I was going through school, they called it multiple personality disorder. I mm. think they may call it dissociative Disassociative disorder. Dissociative now. Yeah, they have changed the name. Yeah, you've heard of I think they have to do that because these new versions of <laughs> yeah, the Yeah, they got to sell a new book. they got to sell them, so yeah. they put a new name in there. Um, everybody's probably heard of, like, Sybil and, and these different ones, the three faces of Eve, you know, movies and whatnot, and these people that have different personalities. And how on earth does this point to the idea that there is a mind that's separate from the brain. Well, let me start by reading a quote from an article in the New York Times. The the article came out on June 28, 1988, and the author is Daniel Goleman. And the article's name is called Probing the Enigma of Multiple Personality. So let me start by reading this. Um, When Timmy drinks orange juice, Timmy has no problem but Timmy is just one of close to a dozen personalities who alternate control over a patient with multiple personality disorder. And if those other personalities drink orange juice, uh, the I, result <laughs> is a case of hives. Yeah, I've, 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 um, when I was in my training psychology, yeah, uh, yeah that, that this I, is yeah something yeah, that's well known yeah. in, among counselors and counselors yeah, in training. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so. If those other personalities drink orange juice, the result is a case of hives. The hives occur even if Timmy drinks orange juice and another personality appears while the juice is still being digested. What's more, if Timmy comes back while the allergic reaction is present, the hives will immediately will cease immediately and the water-filled blisters will begin to subside. Now, to me, that's crazy. To me, I mean, it not, is not possible to think that we only have no, in purely the physical universe whenever the body can have these changes whenever different personalities emerge. 
the mind clearly has an ability. It's, in this case, it's a fragmented mind. It's a very damaged person, but it's having a physical effect on the body. The Timmy personality, not allergic to orange juice. And it because it's not allergic, all of the physical symptoms of these allergies they're going to go away yeah. because the mind doesn't have yeah. an, you know the mind is has an impact on the body yeah that 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 is it that's in when i said crazy that's it, I, I mean that that term in the idea that it's incredible it's just, yeah it's uh, really it's really just, interesting uh, yeah another one um it's the same author uh, daniel goleman in another article in 1985 may 21st new york times uh he wrote another article called new focus on multiple personality and he gives another uh example some multiples and people with multiple personalities have historically been called multiples in some cases. So mm-hmm. that's what he's talking about. Um, some multiples carry several different eyeglasses because their vision changes with each personality, said Bennett Braun, who directs a unit devoted to the treatment of multiple personalities at the Rush Presbyterian St. Luke's Medical Center in Chicago. Dr. Braun reports the case of a young woman who, in one personality, was colorblind for blue and green, a problem that ended with the successful treatment of her multiple personality condition. Another woman admitted to the hospital for diabetes baffled her patients, or sorry, baffled her physicians by showing no symptoms of the disorder at times when one personality who was not diabetic was dominant. A young man was allergic to citrus fruit in some personalities, but not others. That's this Timmy thing. Mm -hmm. But imagine, nobody in the medical community in the West would say, oh, multiple personality, one one shows up and that one doesn't have diabetes, the other one does. Because it's, you know, there, there are physical reasons that diabetes occurs. Mm-hmm. This personality didn't have diabetes, and guess what? The body didn't have diabetes when that, that fragmented portion of the mind was prominent. Mm-hmm. I've never, I don't know how a doctor or, or a, uh, a philosopher or a neuroscientist, unless you're just dead set on refusing to accept the possibility that the mind exists and has the ability to cause things. I don't know how you look at that information and say, you know, that that's not persuasive. I don't know how you do that because it's so amazing. The body is, this isn't just the body doing things. This is the mind telling the body what to do mm-hmm. It's directing the body to do things. Right. A couple of other case studies and I'll just, I'll just summarize them very briefly. Pages 117 to 239 of uh it's called psychophysiological influence by by the author's name is kelly um notes two other specifics one of them is a woman with scars from cigarette burns when one personality is active one of her personalities was abused with cigarettes and when she that personality is prominent cigarette burns appear in her arms but they're not there when the other personality (laughs) how on earth do you explain that Um, Mind over matter. Mind over matter. And the other one is um, a woman with multiple personalities. One is a heroin addict. Guess what? When the heroin addict personality is prominent, track marks appear on her arm from using all the needles. That's the mind having an effect on the physical body. Skeptics say that's impossible. We have evidence showing that it's, and it's medical evidence. You know, they, they'll mm-hmm. say, well, show me scientific evidence. This is scientific evidence. Mm-hmm. The mind obviously exists, and the mind obviously has the ability to cause changes in the body. Just from that, that's plenty. That's all I got to see, um, and I'm convinced. But there's a lot more, and we're not done. We got a lot more to go through. Just a quick thing here. When I was uh, working as a therapist mm-hmm. or practicing therapy, and we had, I had uh, met with 
more than one with disassociative or multiple personality. And, yeah. and the first time that I was, and I'm, I was really glad I was being observed. Mm-hmm. You know, because you know they put us in a little room and tell us to do therapy, and then they the your supervisors they watch you. you on it. Yeah, yeah. and I remember the first time that that this happened, I, I was just I, I mean I was almost speechless because yeah. I could not believe what I was seeing yeah. in in front of me. We had talked about it, and theoretically, okay, yeah, but that, I don't know that I really believe that's kind of one of those things. I had knowledge of it, but then experience yeah, changed the whole go. thing. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, yeah. Um, those can be very profound moments, especially yeah. as a counselor. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. So, let's talk about another. Let me, let me just read another one to you. It's um, There's a boy uh, by the name of John who had what's called fish skin, fish skin disease. And this is in a chapter in Brain Wars, it's pages 109 to 111, and it's on hypnosis. Now, the idea of hypnosis is I can sort of hypnotize a person and give suggestions. And in a universe in which there's nothing other than the physical realm, the atoms, the molecules, and all that, I shouldn't be able to give anybody anybody a suggestion that would then change the body, especially in profound ways. That should Mm -hmm. not be possible, and yet it is. Mm -hmm. And we've seen this. Everybody knows about hypnosis. But listen to this story and tell me, just walk away going, oh, yeah, there's no no immaterial realm. It's impossible, at least in my mind it is. Here's the quote. When John was born, his mother could see that there was something wrong with his skin. As he grew up, his whole body, apart from his face, neck, and chest, became covered with thick, inelastic, black substance that bore no resemblance to normal skin. The black substance was as hard as teeth or fingernails, and John was troubled by painful cracking of the skin. He was a horrible sight, and at school, John was treated like an outcast. Doctors told John's parents that he was suffering from uh, ichthyosiform. Uh, erythrodermia, ichthyosiform erythrodermia, and I'm just reading these really fast, maybe I'm mispronouncing it, Uh, a harrowing condition known as fish skin disease. Unfortunately, no cure was known, and John's chances of leading a normal life appeared negligible. In May of 1950, at age 15, John could barely move without causing painful fissures in his, quote, black armor plating, end quote. He was admitted to the Queen Victoria Hospital in East Grinstead in Sussex, England, a hospital with an international reputation for its plastic surgery department. A famous plastic surgeon, Sir Sir Archibald McIndoe, and his team would try to help. McIndoe and his colleagues began with the palms of John's hands, which were now enveloped in a rigid, horny casing that had cracked and become infected. The surgeon scraped the black substance off his horny palms and translated some skin from his chest, but the operation was soon to, uh, was soon shown to have failed. A few weeks later, the grafted skin had thickened and turned black. When a second attempt also proved unsuccessful, McIndoe and his, his associates concluded that they could not do anything more for John. They tried every physical thing that could be done. Yeah, transplanting skin. Yep. So, yeah. But anesthesiologist Albert Mason had an innovative idea. He proposed to try hypnosis on John. Mason had previously cured warts through hypnosis and was firmly convinced that hypnotic uh, suggestions could significantly improve the boy's condition. Mason began began by talking John into a hypnotic trance state. Then he repeatedly told the boy, your left arm will clear. Strikingly, five days later, the horny layer softened 
became friable and fell off. The skin underneath became pink and soft within a few days. At the end of 10 days, the arm was completely clear from the shoulders to the wrist. Uh, Mason continued his treatment, beginning with the right arm and moving on to the trunk and the legs. The improvement was startling. It ranged from 50% on the legs and feet to 95% on the right arm. Justifiably proud, Albert Mason took John along to show him to Archibald McIndoe flabbergasted now that's the guy that was a surgeon Mm -hmm. McIndoe told Mason that the outcome of his hypnotic treatment made no sense medically John's skin had no oil forming glands that would allow its outer layers to peel off and refurbish themselves there's not the physical (laughs) pieces in his body were not present yet McIndoe was deeply was deeply impressed and and proposed to Mason to present John at the next Royal Society of Medicine conference Mason agreed the doctors who attended John's presentation at the RSM were similarly baffled some said John's case challenged the traditional medical concepts about the relationship between mind and body and matter yeah now this and they he goes on and talks because he's a normal adult living a normal life without this skin condition because hypnosis gave a suggestion the mind said you know what i gotta change the you know the physical body and and it did now it doesn't always work and i don't know why it doesn't always work but all you have to have is one example where it does work to show that it's possibility yeah and and i have a i have a close friend that um and and i've i've witnessed this more than one time where um he would hypnotize a group all at the same time. Yep. And now there would be some that wouldn't respond, but there would be others that would respond. And it was just amazing to watch because me being there personally, I know they're not actors and they right. wouldn't do the things yeah. <laughs> that he would right. he would suggest for them to do. Right. Uh, so just that to me says there's something out there right um, that can have an impact you know and I don't know if you went through this whenever you went through your counseling training but for me I took a class in biofeedback and that's a similar principle mm-hmm. you have the ability because you have people that are living with sort of chronic pain you use this biofeedback to sort of manage that pain and make the pain either minimal or disappear and you kind of use this process and it's the same it's the same principle my mind is working to affect a change in my body. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I don't have any examples about that. But, yeah, there was a whole course that I went through about that. And of course, people that teach this, they don't bother to say, think about what the implications of this are. They just teach it and say, yeah, yeah it works. It works yeah. And uh, move yeah. along. Okay. Well, what are the implications of that? Yeah. Do you deny that there's an immaterial? Yeah. How is this possible then? You know, that sort of thing. So I, there's a question that I wrote down here. If medical science assumes a materialistic explanation, um, which they call the medical model, and if we have evidence that the materialist view of the universe is wrong, then aren't we making a mistake, possibly terminal, to follow materialistic principles and diagnoses and treatments? You know, I, I can't prove this, and I don't think I would use it as part of a cumulative case, but it's just an instinct that I have when I read these sorts of things. I know man, before the fall, was a radically different being than we are now. I think, you know, man was immortal, you know, and had 
Um, all of these abilities, I'm confident of that. I think that's one of the reasons that in early chapters of Genesis, we see that people lived for hundreds of years. Is they were, you know, the, the genetic makeup that we have today is nowhere close to the sort of purity and as we were intended to be. And that I think we will be once again whenever we're, you know, living in the in, in eternity. But I just wonder if this is like, these are like little windows at some level into how things used to be and how man used to be able to do these things. And I'm like, I sure would like to be able to raise my body temperature or drop my body temperature or, you know, I would like to have that kind of control over physical things. Hey, I can't walk. Hey, I need hip replacement surgery. I sure would like the ability to mend that, you know, but I'm, I'm not disciplined enough. You know, mm-hmm. I can't do that sort of thing. But I, it just seems to me the fact that there are so many examples of this, it seems to be windows into possibilities. And I just wonder if that's not pointing towards how we were originally designed and how we've sort of fallen from that um, in today. I, again, I can't prove that. It's just me sort of – it's just intriguing to mm-hmm. me is it, kind of the way I would yeah. say it. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, that that um, and, and I would you know tie that back in kind of what we're talking about with, uh, with prayer. Uh, yep. You know, we see effectual – I mean, we uh, – what, what is that? Right. Um, and so to me, that's we are interacting with a uh, non-material world. Um, right. Not only that, but we are in the non-material world and we are, you know, we're we're a mind that lives in a body. We're not, you know, it's that kind of the idea of the idealist. Yeah, there's uh, and I'm I don't want to misquote. Uh, there's a a um, an author, Dallas Willard, mm-hmm. uh, and. No, he's, I, I love his work, and I was at listen. I was at a conference where he was um, doing some teaching, and and he he would he, like I said, I don't want to misquote it, but I understood him to say that we are not physical beings trying to be spiritual. We are spiritual beings living in a physical world. I think that's a good way to say it. Yeah, um, yeah. and that's kind of what how I'm understanding what. Uh, what we're talking about yeah, here. I think that's I think that's I would I would agree from my perspective that seems to be true yeah yeah so I'm, let's wrap up here and then we'll do some more examples later turn turn to another area of examples okay look forward to it man all right you've been listening to hacks for life with Galen Jones of James group Ministries the James group is a nonprofit christ-centered organization that seeks to serve the community by offering skilled caring support for anyone in need For help, call 972-243-4673. That's 972-243-4673. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another Hacks for Life with Galen Jones.